Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce the launch of my new podcast, Everyday Greatness. The Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls, And guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis podcast, every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on podcastone.com. It's not what you have. It's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. Uh, welcome back to another show. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world and the country. We'll acknowledge it a little bit up top, Sam. Um, not a great time around America and other places in the world, but uh, we're going to try to uh, carry on with at least, you know, perhaps a piece of your week as we can just uh, talk football for an hour or so. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously the world is burning. Um, I think, yeah, look, we're not going to spend this podcast getting deep into that. We're not political minds. We're not tasked with solving all this stuff. But I think just from what's going on, it's pretty clear that however it's being, you know, co-opted by by people or, or twisted or, or you know, warped in, in various different ways. I think it's pretty clear there's something significant at the base of all this driving it. I think everybody owes it to one another to, you know, look at this, to understand what's happening and not just brush it under the carpet and ignore it because you don't want to deal with it. I think it's important that all of us see it, understand what's happening and try and move forward in a better way. Yeah, I think 
my big concern is there seems to be a lack of trust across many, many channels, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody, nobody trusts anyone uh, with anything. So, yeah, I think uh, listening We're a nation and, divided. We, yeah. need to, we need yeah. to figure out a way of stopping that being the case any longer. So um, encourage all of our listeners uh, to do just that, to listen, to research, and uh, just to continue to keep an open mind about everything that's going on here. Uh, we will provide uh, entertainment. I'm air quotes there because you're not mm. the most entertaining guy, Sam. I'm not the funniest guy in the world. But uh, we'll we'll provide a, a little bit of time where we talk a little bit about football. So um, this week, the PFF 50 is coming out. You hinted at that a little bit on previous podcasts. It's different from the PFF 101, which comes out after the season is just season-driven. The PFF 50, now we're looking forward. We're talking about the best players in the NFL heading in to the 2020 season. Uh, you're, you're writing up the list. It'll be over at pff.com. Let's discuss a little bit about the uh, the criteria, how we did this, and how we somehow pared it down to just 50. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing, right? Pairing the entire league, like 2,500 guys-ish you are going to play in any given NFL season, trying to come up with the best 50 of them heading into the year is... Well, for a start, it means that everybody on this list is really, really good. Um, secondarily, it means there's a bunch of people that aren't even on this list that are really, really good. Like, it's not a slight any given way. And when you're trying to sort of write up these things, it's always a tricky balance to, to strike between, you know, talking up how good a guy is and explaining why he's lower on the list than some people are going to want to see him. And, it, you know, it always comes off as a sort of, you're hating on this guy. It's like, if he was the 35th ranked player in the NFL... He's not being hated on. Like, he's, he's really, really good. good. Yeah. Right. So that's always a challenge with these things. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's a tricky criteria because there's no answer to this, right? We, we have more data than anybody else in terms of grades, in terms of PFF war to articulate value, all of these things. And yet, ultimately, we're going to be wrong, right? This, it's like trying to, it's try, trying to nail a perfect bracket, you know, for the, the March Madness tournament or... You know, whatever. These absurd, nail the perfect first-round draft. It's just never going to happen. You're never going to get everything right. And, you know, for every year you get, you predict certain things dead on, there's going to be a Lamar Jackson season that comes effectively out of nowhere that there was just no way of predicting, right? There was literally nothing from his rookie year that suggested that level of leap was on the table. And there's going to be the same thing this year, right? There's going to be a guy we haven't got on this list who we didn't see the explosion coming. There are going to be guys that are on this list who have, you know, a more precipitous decline than we were expecting and shouldn't have been on it. You know, in a few months' time, all being well, hopefully we'll actually see football. This list will be proven wrong, but it's the best uh, it's the best effort on, we can Sam. come up with given the, uh, given the data we've got available. You're not selling it right now, Sam. This is the best list. This is the best list. Perfect list. It's mm. going to be a great list. Perfect list. Top 50. Um, I, so I thought some of the, the challenge here with putting it together was with some of the big names who co- came off of either down years or multiple down years, whether it was Von Miller, Khalil Mack, almost balancing guys that have extended periods of success versus, say, a, a Lamar Jackson who had that yeah. uh, second-year breakout, right, that we've seen before. We've seen second-year breakouts before. Patrick Mahomes did it technically in a second year. Carson Wentz had the second-year breakout, but then came back down to earth a little bit. I think balancing, you know, these players that are uh, stepping into the upper echelon versus the guys that have been in the upper echelon and maybe took a step back. Then, of course, you get the old quarterbacks like Drew Brees and Tom Brady. 
you know, when do they really, really start to, to completely decline? So there's a lot of, uh, you know, debate that goes into this. But well, um, where I think this you? is tricky is that so the 101 every year is easy enough in that it's just it's a defined period, right? It's that season, the best 101 players in the year. And all you've got to do is essentially weigh up different facets, different positions, which is complicated in and of itself. But you're, you're just you're comparing like with like. It's, just, it's one year's worth of data. For this, it's a lot more arbitrary, right? You're talking about the best 50 players right now heading into the season. So how much data do you bring in? Do you look at a guy and say, well, the last eight games of the season, he was cooking, so he's probably really good? Or, you know, a Lamar, where it's the last season's worth of data we have is really good? Or you can go the other way. There are guys with, you know, two, three, four seasons of quality play. And then, as you say, there's some guys who have nine years of quality play but the last one was a little bit worse so is that an indication that he's declined now and he's no longer that player or do you expect him to bounce back like von miller is a great example right i think it was eight or nine straight seasons of a 90 plus pff grade last season it dropped to 79 so it was a massive drop now what is what is 2020 von miller is he back to the 90 every year player or is he now 79 or worse, or is he somewhere in the middle? Like, trying to quantify what those are for every one of these players and then slot them on the list is it's a nightmare. <laughs> uh, you just love making excuses. No, it is. It's, cha- it's always a challenge uh, coming up with this, and um, especially since it's only 50. I mean, there's going to be some guys who, who just missed the list who are, who are really good football players. Um, so we released a bunch of it on social media. I think more is coming out on social media. As you, as I said earlier, you're going to be having the putting the full write up on pff.com on Tuesday morning. Uh, you want to just go through the list, uh, counting down some of yeah. the the key names, well, fifty through uh, one. Yeah, let's start off with a couple of people that missed it because um, I think oh, those boy. are interesting. Uh, as you say, there's some really good football players in this list. One of the ones that I kept trying to find a way to get him on the list and just couldn't come up with a name that was less deserving, um, Eric Hendricks. Eric Hendricks was a, like a defensive player of the year candidate last season. But again, when you start looking at body of work, right? I, I, I can't remember who it was. Somebody tweeted that it's absolutely insane like how big the jump in his play was from you know, previous baseline to last season. Like he became a defensive player of the year candidate effectively out of nowhere. He was a good player never better than that suddenly became phenomenal so again like what do you do with that is he is he now a phenomenal player is he up there with the luke keekley's bobby wagner's of the world or does he go back to what he was or does he split the difference like i I think it you this usually is where you can defer back to what we know is stable and, and unstable moving forward and coverage grade where kendrick's excelled yes he had he had a career uh uh high run defense grade as well i mean he was great all across the board uh, but I think expecting 88.3, an 88.3 coverage grade by far his career high, you have to expect that to regress back toward where he was previously in his career. So I think that's that's a part of the factor, right, and and why he's just not going to make that list. Two more players that didn't make it. Um, Zadarius Smith led the league in total pressures last season. Again, a significant sort of career high. Now, I know the situation was better for him last year, so – you know, there's an argument that you could expect to see that repeated, but edge rusher is so stacked in the league right now that it's it's difficult to find a space even with that. Um, and then Gronk, right? Like, what is Gronk in 2020? Because the last thing we saw from Gronk wasn't, like, 
the best Gronk we've ever seen. It wasn't that baseline of 90-plus career grades of being the best tight end in the NFL. On the other hand, A, it was still pretty good, and B, he's had like a year off to get healthy. And I don't think, generally, I'm always intrigued by that, right? Not just with Gronk, but league-wide, what happens if a player has a whole year to recharge, to get 100% healthy, and then come back into the league? We've seen that so few times, but the times we have seen it, it's tended to, to work well. Um, so I, I don't know what Gronk is in 2020, but he could easily be on this list. Yeah, that, it's, it's a fair point. We have an excuse with Gronk, right, because of that. Um, if he was coming off maybe his 2017 season, where he was clearly the top guy still or battling Travis Kelsey for the top guy that particular year, then I think it's easier to just say, hey, you took a year off, come on back. But yeah, he was already regressing a little bit in 2018 outside of a few freak plays. I think Gronk's easier. Yeah, Zadarius Smith, another guy much like Eric Kendricks, you just look through his career grades, it's 58, 54, 60, 70, and then 89.7, right? So this random one year. Now, if he puts together another year like that, hey, he's on the list next year, right? He's a top 30 player in the NFL. So I think that's fair. Uh, Looking at the multi-year sample and, and not getting too caught up in career years unless maybe you see like a Lamar Jackson in year two and say hey this could be the uh the upward trajectory uh so in uh 50 through 41 so to speak there's a bunch of edge rushers Nick Bosa is coming in at 41 Joey Bosa is coming in at 47 I'm of the mind that they need to be back-to-back no matter what Sam what'd you do the Bosa's they always have to be back-to-back I think they were on our 101 weren't they um but Nick's season, uh, obviously a couple of years younger than Joey, uh, you know, playing at that same level, just fantastic. Uh, you see Brandon Graham from the Philadelphia Eagles, Danell Hunter, a lot of uh, a lot of those pass rushers, Kenny Clark, interior pass rusher at forty four, all coming in in that forty one to fifty range. Yeah, um, you're right. Like I say, the edge rusher is absolutely stacked. There's a ton of them. Nick Bosa is a really interesting one because that was legitimately maybe the best rookie edge rusher season we've ever seen at PFF. And we've seen some really good edge rushers come into the league. Um, And we've seen some come into the league and have like immediate success. But that's right up there with the Von Millers of the world in terms of immediate impact, in terms of absolute dominance. And he was getting better by the time the season ended. Like into the postseason, the rookie wall, whatever. Like That wasn't (laughs) happening for him. Burst through that thing. Right. He was absolutely wrecking people still. So I think year two and beyond for Nick Bosa, like he has the chance to become, you know, one of the very, very best pass rushes in the NFL right up there with those, the Von Miller, the Khalil Mack range. Khalil Mack is like an interesting comp for him, actually, because like everyone, again, expected him to be dominant right from the get go. Um, He was really good against the run year one. He became really good as a pass rusher year two. And then like year three was when he really became like a true Von Miller rival where he not just was good against a run, good as a pass rusher, but then started to make those like game-changing plays, right? The strip sacks, the forced fumbles, was generating turnovers, was getting like the really highest level of PFF graded plays as well. Um, Like it took him essentially three years to get to that level. Like Bosa wasn't far off that right away. Yeah, he was outstanding right away. And I think, you know, I always, I pair the Bosa's with Miles Garrett, uh, you know, the, those three guys, they're all on the list. Miles Garrett comes in at 29. Those three guys are the guys that we have enough. We have all of their college data, right? Because 2014, I believe, was Miles Garrett, uh, Garrett's true freshman year. That was 
Uh, we, we're actually missing one year of Joey Bosa. I think we're missing his, his true freshman year. Um, but we pretty much have all of the college data on both Bosa's and Miles Garrett. We saw domination start to finish in college, and we've seen excellent NFL play. And then even a guy like Derwin James, who uh, was at 31, you wanted to overlook Derwin James at 31 just a little bit, coming off an injury-prone season where he was uh, only graded in the in the low 80s. But those are those are guys that we've seen a massive body of work of excellent play in college, excellent play in the NFL, and that's been that's been one of the fun things about finally having that college data a few years ago uh, is to see these guys right their entire careers essentially being graded. Uh, and, and these guys have been uh, pretty much awesome every time we've seen them on the field. Okay, who's next in your in the list? Do you want to? So I think Deshaun Watson at forty three. I think the, the one other name that missed the list is Aaron Rodgers, and you know Rodgers has been probably he's not as good maybe as the NFL perception is, as in the league, right? Just because he still makes all those special throws and everything. And he's probably not as bad as maybe the analytics community likes to uh, poke fun at him because uh, I think that the analytics community that that we interact with on Twitter is probably using a, uh, using EPA, which is a little bit more of a team-driven stat for me. Um, and, and that's been bad, right, over the last few years. You know, it's been league average, essentially, the Packers' passing offense. So I think we're thinking Rodgers is somewhere in between the Patrick mahomes type of quarterback that he was in a league average uh, quarterback, essentially, the way the passing offense has produced. Um, but we had him just missing this, and we took a guy like Deshaun Watson, elevated him up. And I think part of the Deshaun Watson thing is like, man, if you go to premium stats and you just take away Watson's two worst games, he literally is a 91, 92 overall quarterback. He is right there at the top. Now, you can't take out those games, but I do think it shows that about 80 or 90% of the time, Watson isn't is in that top echelon of quarterbacks. Are we expecting Watson to take that next step, lose one of those bad games per season, and all of a sudden, you know, he's that true MVP candidate? He's kind of like where, until last season maybe, where Russell Wilson was, which is in terms of like almost all of his play is phenomenal. And then he has those one or two games a year where it's like, ugh. And those are the games that people always use to criticize Wilson, uh, including his own team, I think. Like, I think those are the games yeah. which are the reason they don't, lean on him the way other teams with a quarterback that good lean on their quarterback um like Deshaun Watson is the same type of quarterback in terms of he's so good and then has those games and he just hasn't gotten rid of those yet and he may never get rid of them like a lot of quarterbacks don't but we've seen Russell Wilson do that in recent years suddenly eliminate those bad games and now you've got like a quarterback who's as good as anybody and I mean the line I gave to you when you were asking about it was like 80 percent of his of his season is Patrick Mahomes. It's just that the twenty percent that isn't sucks. Like and and that's what drags him from the very top of the list down to like the forties. But I think because the eighty percent is that good, you keep him there and the the potential that if he does do what Russell Wilson did and eliminate that twenty percent, eliminate the bad games, like he catapults into being one of the top five guys in the entire NFL. And then there is something to this idea of, you know, he is whatever defining clutch is he's it right like he's able to elevate his game he's able to show up at the biggest moments i think we had some numbers that you know fourth quarter game with one score either way 
he's like first in every quarterback category. Like he's right, he is a cl- the clutch quarterback in the NFL right now, right up there with some of these other guys. Uh, it's just that the Texans ha- aren't, haven't been good enough for it to to get renowned. You know, when you're a great clutch quarterback, you need to show it in prime time in the playoffs. You need to come up for those games for anybody to take notice of it. But Deshaun Watson has been playing at that level and deserves better, I think, from the team around him. You know, it's funny because I like to always remind everybody that, hey, players don't just get better every year, right? It's not this linear progression. But I do think even if you look at a bunch of the better quarterbacks in the NFL right now, even like the the Breezes and the Bradys of the world, I think if after your first few years you at least have a baseline of good, then you have a chance to go from from good to great. Hashtag good to great here, right? Um, And I think Watson's in that echelon. And to be honest, I think Dak and maybe Wentz are in that group as well. As much as I say, hey, Wentz was an MVP candidate in year two, he's not just going to continue to get better from there. He's going to come back down to earth. But I think when you have, say, four years, and for Watson it's three years or two and a half years, of really good play in some peaks, I think those guys do have that better chance of getting into that top echelon, that that consistent top five or top eight quarterback. I think right now Watson's just outside of it. I think a guy like Dak technically could be the guy that, that could do it more consistently because even you know early career Brady, Breeze, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Russell Wilson, they weren't stepping right in and being you know a top three quarterback necessarily, but they were very good very good very good and then at some point it's like wow there's a whole bunch of very good and now there's mvp caliber seasons in there uh and i think you know that's how i describe watson's career to this point and we'll see if he could still take that next jump and how much maybe losing deandre hopkins uh, might hurt that uh you comfortable with sorry i think that's a big difference between him and dak prescott right i could easily envisage a scenario in 2020 where dak prescott looks better and he has better numbers and he even has a better pff grade but like the situations are so different like Dak Prescott has maybe the most quarterback friendly situation in the NFL right now certainly one of the top two or three and Deshaun Watson doesn't um and it's like the fact that they're even on the same plane in terms of measurables PFF grade all that kind of stuff I think speaks to a superior skill set and ability in Deshaun Watson compared to Prescott to to be able to level that disparity in terms of support the other uh, big names, I think, well, the other names to, that are interesting in the 40s, offensive lineman David Bakhtiari comes in at 42. Uh, he's pro- you know the best pass-protecting left tackle in the league. Ronnie Stanley at 48, who's challenging him for that for that title. He was the guy last year. You know, maybe there was some help because you know, you know, guys are rushing Lamar Jackson. But even when we uh, put him into the most difficult situations from a grade standpoint, Ronnie Stanley was fantastic. What did he give up? Six pressures last year. The entire yeah. season? Yeah. No yeah. sacks, five hurries, one hit, six yeah, precious. And, and then Zach Martin of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, perennially one of the best guards in the NFL. So all those guys are in the 40s. As we get into the 30s, uh, Devontae Adams for the Packers is in there at wide receiver. Is he one of the more underrated players in the league? Because if you said, hey, he's the 38th best player in the NFL, do, do we get into this whole – you know, because he doesn't look like Julio, run like Julio, run like the fastest guys in the NFL. He's a little underrated because he does it with his route running. Yeah, maybe. I I think it's also. I mean, he he was kind of underrated even by me. Like when so our starting point for this is I stacked up 
two years worth of PFF grades, right? And then you make some adjustments for sort of stuff that you know will be skewed in those two years. Like Lamar, over two years, is going to get dragged down because the first year wasn't very good. Um, you know, players, whatever. There's guys that you know who are going to get screwed by a two-year sample size, but it's not a bad starting point to just see how grades stack up over that period. And Devontae Adams' grade over two years is insane. Like, yeah. he's had back-to-back receiving grades of 87.5 and 88.8. Um, like, he's just been exceptionally good over that time. Missed a little bit of time as well, so that sort of hurts on an individual season basis. But, yeah, I think I, I think we're just... I, I maintain that that sort of world where you live in of being just behind the very, very best players in the league at any given position is, a, is an area where you get perpetually underrated. And I think that's where Devontae Adams lives, right? He's the Julio Joneses of the world are in their own plane. And then the next tier down is guys like Devontae Adams. It's guys like Keenan Allen. Um, and I think those guys are just consistently underrated league-wide because they're, they're 90%, 95% of Julio Jones. But that 10% causes everyone to sort of look at it and say, well, you're not that good because you, know, so you must be a lot worse. I think you're describing everybody that ranks in the 30s then. So Devontae yeah. Adams at 38, uh, Levante David at 37. He's been a, you know, an outstanding chase and run classic linebacker. Uh, maybe like one or two okay seasons in there, but for the most part, excellent uh, range and coverage, good run defender. But he's not in the Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner class over the last couple of years. Calais Campbell at 36 because he doesn't have he's not the bendy von miller khalil mack edge rusher ben or you know he, or not bendy but you know just dominant pass rusher that those guys are but he's been by far the best run defender he's done it up and down the line of scrimmage harrison smith you never you never have harrison smith in the same conversation as earl thomas at free safety but he's always uh, performed and he's performed again multiple roles right he plays well in the box he plays well on the two high shell single high shell doesn't really matter i think that's the uh that's the name of the game in the 30s here, I think, Sam. Harrison Smith's interesting. I was just on uh, Matthew Collar's new podcast, which I think drops today, actually. Um, and we were talking about we were talking about the All Decade uh, 101, right? And how you compare uh, how you compare an Earl Thomas with a Harrison Smith, right? And because effectively, like those are two different positions. Like really we, are. we call them all yeah. safety, but they're really not. Like Earl Thomas was the is was the prototypical single high free safety in that cover one, cover three Seattle defense, right? You can make an argument that he was the player that made the Legion of Boom function. And I know they had Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman um, and then Maxwell or Browner on the other side, but it was Earl Thomas that enabled that defense to function. And that's why nobody else has been able to replicate it, no matter how many Seahawks defensive assistants get coaching jobs elsewhere they bring the system and it just doesn't look the same because nobody else has an earl thomas but i think you can make the same argument for harrison smith within mike zimmer's defense right this two four six split safety kind of look that harrison smith is the player that makes that defense function because he can play more or less any any position within that secondary and therefore whatever it is zimmer wants to call on a given play Harrison Smith is the one fulcrum, the one keystone piece that lets everything else build around it, right? Because he can go into the slot. He can go into the box. He can be your single high free safety. He can be the one that moves around that means you always have the right personnel on the field. If you don't have that guy, 
you don't have somebody that can do all those versatile pieces. You need to like make wholesale sweeping substitutions in terms of your personnel to go from a cover three look to a cover six look or whatever, right? You don't have the pieces that make that function. Harrison Smith lets that function. So I think in a strange way, they've both been the prototypes for the sort of two different defensive styles that have been so prevalent in the NFL over the last you know, decade or so. Um, but you have to then compare them, right? <laughs> it's like, which right. guy is better? And it's just, it's it's so hard to do that. So I and think both are Eric just really Weddle interesting. Is Eric a better cop for Harrison Smith as far as what they do, their yeah. role, and what they bring to the table? Yeah, I mean, I think Eric Weddle and Harrison Smith are very good comps. They're very close in terms of they are, they, they're both prototypes for that safety, right? The do-it-all safety that functions in, a, in that sort of split safety look. A guy that can play either position single high or in the box on a a sort of cover three cover one look but is best with that split safety look that lets you do a whole bunch of different things i think they are the prototype for that defensive system and then earl thomas remains the prototype for that single high free safety let's discuss the other safety prototype because there's there's another one and that is i mentioned derwin james who's at 31 and then jamal adams who's at 20 both of these guys i think they were they were almost identical in grades in 2018 with regard to their overall grade, run defense, coverage, and then pass rush. Again, we're not asking safeties to rush the passer often, but you made the point all last year, Jamal Adams would legitimately line up as an edge rusher sometimes on that Jets defense that had no edge rush, and he was pretty good at it. I always made that same point about Derwin. He's, this isn't the reason I think he's great, but the fact that he could line up as an edge rusher in Florida State and defeat offensive tackles i thought was a great added weapon these guys are the true prototypes of the real do-it-all safety not just you can run every coverage this is you can hit every main facet run defense coverage and then blitzing slash rushing the passer at a special level that you can deploy these guys just differently than maybe other safeties around the league so that's the thing. I think these guys are the prototype for for your essentially your positionless defense position, yeah. if you like, right? Those are, those are guys are are really on the on the the cutting edge of this new push towards players that do not have a position, players that can play across your entire defense, not just anywhere in the secondary, and make things function. And I don't know that that is common enough in the NFL yet for that to be to be like a serious thing like there's only a couple of teams that are even willing to mess with that that much but you know when you say i I don't rushing the passer is not important enough for a safety for me to sort of value that highly but for this specific thing it kind of is like if you have a like if you're going to take a guy and have him on your defense legitimately positionless you're going to need to use him as a pass rusher and he's going to be a run defender and he's going to be in coverage in a bunch of different scenarios so the fact that jamal adams could line up as a legitimate outside linebacker pass rusher and rush the passer for the jets is actually important in that defense the fact that derwin can do it is important for that defense so i think they're different to an eric weddle or a harrison smith that can you know, those guys can both blitz from a safety alignment and, you know, be an add-on, an add-on blitzer effectively, right? But, like, Jamal Adams and Derwin James were legitimately lining up as a true edge rusher. They were lining up as DeMarcus Ware used to for the Dallas Cowboys and beating offensive linemen one-on-one and being a conventional part of your pass rush. It's just that when you looked, you know, across the, the line of scrimmage from your huddle and you looked over there and you saw, oh, it's... 
they're down an edge rusher. They don't have a, you know, you didn't notice that they were pass rushers until they showed up, lined up where that true edge rusher would be and came at you. So, yeah, they are like pioneering this positionless spot on defense, and they are the prototypes for that. Yeah, they're, they're the types that you can actually build a defense around. And, and the, the challenge there is finding more players like that. There's a reason why yeah. they're on the PFF 50. Again, Jamal Adams at 20, uh, right? Is it 20? Yeah, I just lost my spot. And uh, Derwin James at 31. Last year at this time, I think we were slotting them right next to each other. And uh, Derwin will be back, Sam. He'll be back after the mm. season once he's healthy. Uh, let's stick with the safeties, though, too. Like Anthony Harris at 30. If you if you're not, you know, a regular listener to our podcast or, or our free agent discussions, where Anthony Harris was one of our top five or six free agent or non quarterback free agents, you might be surprised to see him at thirty. How good has Anthony Harris been? That's Harrison Smith's you know cohort over there in Minnesota. He's been outstanding, especially these last couple of years. Yes, I I don't know where the league perception is on Anthony Harris, like because he hasn't yet had a chance. So. You know, I thought he would hit the open market this year because I didn't think the Vikings would bring him back. And then at least we would get a gauge of somebody's opinion on him, right, by the contract that he ended up receiving. Um, but we didn't even get that because the Vikings slapped the franchise tag on him. So I guess at least you get the idea that they value him enough to do that, albeit the safety franchise tag is like the cheapest one in the NFL. It's one of the best value tags you can slap on anybody. But, yeah, I mean... You can make a case that Anthony Harris has been the best safety in the NFL while he's been playing in the NFL. Like basically, every step of grading we have on him is really good, and then the more they increased his playing time, the better he's gotten. So he played pretty well in, in really small sample sizes the first few years of his career. Then he got a lot of playing time in 2018 with some injuries, had a coverage grade of 87, an overall grade of 89, that earned him the starting job next to Harrison Smith and then coverage grade 92.7 and overall grade 91.1 like those are all pro best safety in the NFL kind of numbers and he is so he's not Earl Thomas like he's not the single high free safety prototype but he's probably like your coverage safety in that split safety look the guy that specializes more being off the line of scrimmage while Harrison Smith moves around everywhere like he is phenomenal at that and like he's one of the best ball hawking safeties in the NFL right now. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, with Harris. Okay, he's not Earl Thomas, uh, but or, or you don't know what the league's perception of or, of him really is. If Malik Hooker had those couple of years after being a first round pick, that I think we all looked at Malik Hooker and said, okay, this guy could be the next Earl Thomas type as far as true free safeties go. If they were putting up numbers the way Harris was, not missing tackles, making plays on the ball, then the perception of that player would be extremely high. Like, hey, this is what we expected. I wonder how much of this is just Harris kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, you know, it's it's you still kind of want to see it, see it more. You don't have a ton of action plays at safety, um, but he, you know, if he has another year like this, he truly is you know, among the elite safeties, and you have to give him that respect. He's had those two excellent seasons that we've seen. He's another interesting player because, so drafted in 2015, we, we got some of his college tape as well. He was undrafted, sorry, undrafted um, in 2015. So we saw some of his college tape, and the college tape was good. It's just that right back at that time, 
we only got through X amount of players before the draft started, right? We, we didn't have, as we said, we've learned every year and figured out better streamlined resources and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't get that deep into it, but his college grades were good as well. So literally every single data point we have on him is good. Circling back to Earl Thomas for a second, though, just to articulate why nobody else has been able to find another Earl Thomas. Like, not only is he the prototype for that spot, but I don't know if I've seen more than two of those players since I've been watching the NFL. So going back to, like, the 90s, it's Earl Thomas and it's Ed Reed, right? And I think those are the only two players that have had that skill set. And what makes them so special is not just the – it gets termed instincts, right? It's really more sort of recognition, tape study, the ability to know what's happening and get there. Football Um, intelligence, yeah. Whatever whatever you want to call it, it usually gets labeled instincts. But it's not just the instincts they have. They also have a freaky range and speed that enables them to do the same thing in a different way than these other guys. So I think there's a lot of other players that have had that – football intelligence, the instincts, whatever it is you want to call it, the ability to show up at the right place at the right time. But other players don't have the speed and the range to do it from as close to the line of scrimmage as those guys did, right? So uh, what's this guy's name? The old Bill's safety, Bird? Uh, Jerry's Bird. Jerry's Bird. I knew where you were going with this. Jerry's Bird had a season or two where he looked like Earl Thomas because the Bills started to cheat him deep off the line of scrimmage and effectively buy him some extra range. So he was able to line up deeper, and that would enable you to get to the sideline, right? Because when you're getting sideline to sideline from single high, it's effectively just an angles game. and You have a shorter distance to travel if you're lined up further back because the ball is going to be 40 yards down field from from the line of scrimmage. Earl Thomas was able to make those plays from five yards closer to the line, which meant that there was no longer this giant hole between him and the the linebackers, right? He could start to influence those plays as well. And when you can do that, now that tightens up everything. Because, you know, Greg Williams takes this this, uh, thing where his free safety is lined up like on Mars, like a million miles back. And he, he effectively eliminates those deep plays, but it comes at the cost of like a million more or less deep shots right in front of that guy because he can't make those plays. Earl Thomas could do what he wants Greg Williams or what Greg Williams wants to take away, but also not open up a giant space in the middle of the field in front of him. And so could Ed Reed. And that's what differentiates those guys from a Jarius Bird or a Malik Hooker or any of these other single high safeties that have been doing like a sort of poor imitation of Earl Thomas. They just don't have the range that those guys have to be able to do that lined up close enough to the line of scrimmage for them not to open up a hole somewhere. I mentioned to the, this to you a, a few weeks back when I was watching Malik Hooker because I, I really liked him coming out. And uh, I, I watched some of his negative plays over the last couple of years, and it seemed like it was, it, it was plays where he had to really react quickly on, you know, you know, like a seam route, something that's thrown like a little bit firmer where I don't know that his short area quickness is great, but the, the, the high-end plays that we saw at Ohio State were deeper down the field where almost, you know, those true center field plays, like where the ball's 40 yards in the air with some trajectory to it and you're playing uh, football center field or baseball center field, right? You're going, taking a good angle and just getting there. I feel like Hooker's better at those plays. As a safety Sam, as a former second-team IAFL, mm. 
safety. Are those completely different places? Breaking on the firmer seam route versus the deeper, over-the-top bomb, so to speak. Are those completely different skill sets for for safeties? Yeah. Yeah, they're completely different. Um, Like I say, one of them, that dropping back, I I mean, it's like, it's the difference between linebackers, what we're saying. You remember Keekley right in the start of his career? Yeah. Really good in everything coming forward and struggled to sort of get anything coming in behind him was a problem. That took him like a year to figure out how that that dynamic worked. That's the same sort of thing. Except safeties, I think it usually works in reverse. It's actually, you're more comfortable with, at least for me, the way it worked for me is I was more comfortable with the stuff that was trying to go over my head and the stuff that was coming right at me at shallower angles was trickier to compute on the fly. And one of the, like I told you this, one of the worst plays I ever made was like a full-on minus two in the PFF grading system. <laughs> they ran like a skinny post and I read it like a hair too late and I ran at it, and I was caught between, like, do I go for the, the interception or the pass breakup, or do I, like, tackle the guy after he makes the catch? And I basically did neither. And mm. the dude caught the ball and ran, like, clean past me as I passed by him, like, half a yard to the, to the left, and single free safety. I'm, like, the last line. So just straight through and touchdown. It was, the like, Marcus an absolute Williams. total disaster. The Marcus Williams. Uh, all that said, I love the safety discussion because there's a ton of them on the list. They all bring a little bit something different to the table. And I'll say this. I, I want them on my defense. You know, I just I want these types of players on my defense because they give you coverage versatility. They're good at important facets of the game. They, I think, good safeties uh, clean up weaknesses in other areas on your team. So uh, I think the NFL is in a good spot with uh, with all these safeties right now. Let's get into some more of the guys as we get into the top 30, that are the guys that are in the 20s. I see some youngsters like T.J. Watt, Nick mm. Chubb, Ryan Ramchek. I mean, those guys are starting, T.J. Watt especially, a real breakout season last year. Those guys are starting to become uh, the top guys at their respective positions. Let's uh, let's take a, a brief interlude, though, just to answer this question before my man blows his top. Oh, that's uh, right. I meant to come A ton of to questions, apparently, from a guy called James Hines. This one, I think, is the one to answer, though. How much does war go into the listing of players and that kind of stuff? PFF war wins above replacement. Um, for the 50, not a huge amount, right? Because this list, the, the 50, the 101, all these lists are essentially created position agnostic. Was that the, is that your term? Or did uh, yeah, you just I came adopt up with it? that. I came okay. up with that. I, yeah. I like it. I think it describes well what this is. Position agnostic, I how valuable your position is doesn't really matter. Now, there's limits to that, right? You won't find kickers or fullbacks on this list for the moment. Um, but essentially, if you were using just war and just value to winning games, this list would be quarterbacks 1 to 20, whatever, 25, before you got to anybody else. And frankly, that sucks. So it's it's not. It's, it's best player, right? Yeah. It's essentially just comparing you with the rest of your peers and how much better you are than everybody else. Um, now, war will factor in in terms of, like, are the things you're doing at your position more valuable than the things other guys are doing? So edge rushers, right? Pass rushing edge rushers have, bring more value to the table than run defending edge rushers. So it'll factor in indirectly, but it's not like this list is not about value overall, because if it was, like I say, it would be quarterbacks one to 20, whatever. Yeah, our friend Eric is is putting out lists of the most valuable players of the decade by team, 
and they are literally all quarterbacks, even the worst teams. Like the the yeah. most valuable Buffalo Bills player has been Ryan Fitzpatrick in the last decade. The most, I think, the second most valuable Jet has been Mark Sanchez. Right, so it's like you don't even have to be that good to be number one. RG three uh, is the second most valuable Redskin over the last decade, <laughs> based off like a year and a half, a year yeah. of good play, and a half a year of like actual play over there. So, um, yeah, this is definitely you know, who are the best players at actually playing football and, and uh, what they're asked to do in, in our grading system. Uh, war though is more about? valuable for for team building and in realizing yes. where yeah, to yeah. Uh, allocate resources. Uh, one player versus the next player, position versus position, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's really valuable. And like I say, it, it factors in indirectly a sort of position by specific position. It's just the overall war is not what we're rolling with yeah. here because we want the list to be more interesting than just a list of quarterbacks. Um... Hey, guys, quick break to tell you that support for today's episode comes from Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. And Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for your dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Perfect Package. You know what they say, like father, like son. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 by Manscaped is the number one recommended gift all year long. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine the third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic bright blade to prevent manscaping accidents on any part of the body hairy chest or back look no further very relatable i got the hairy hairy back i need this thing stop imagining your dad has it covered because he probably doesn't that 7,000 RPM trimmer has helped prevent manscaping accidents around the world. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, the Crop Reviver Refreshing Spray, and anti-chafing athletic boxer briefs. So subscribe to the perfect package and get the new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer always stays hygienic and clean. This is the perfect package for you and your dad. For a limited time, subscri subscribers get a free gift. It's the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping. Promo code is PFF. It's over at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping. Use the code PFF. It's dad bod season. Time to get smooth. Where were we going before that that segue? Well, speaking of war, T.J. Watt was the most valuable edge last year. Um, he comes in at number 28. Nick Chubb is at 27, who you made the claim could be the best running back in the NFL Yeah. on our last podcast. And then Ryan Ramchek at 26. I, I went back and I looked because Ramchek's the beginning of his career has just been so good. Our data goes back to 2006. Here's the list of the highest-graded tackles in just their first three years in the NFL, we have Joe Thomas at 93. Uh, he came in at, in 2007. No real surprise there. Jake Long, who started his career just outstanding. He was kind of like those guys came out back to back years, right? 07 and 08. They were like the prototype at tackle. Jake Long was a 90.9. The next two guys on the list: Teron Armstead of the Saints, 90.4, and Ryan Ramchek of the Saints, 90.2. So Ryan Ramchek has the fourth highest 
uh, first three-year grade of any tackle we've seen since 2006. And uh, that's why he's over there at 26 on the list. He's awesome. So I know you made the point earlier um, that, you know, players don't have this, like, linear progression career where it just gets better every single year up until the point where you're awesome. But there's something comforting about seeing it in a player. I, this might be oh, yeah. like a complete unconscious bias that we should be trying to rid ourselves of <laughs> rather than embrace. Right. But, like, there's something very comforting and, and right feeling about a guy who does just have that consistent arc up. And, and T.J. Watt is that guy, right? Yeah. Because the Steelers swung and missed for years on these edge rushers. They finally get T.J. Watt, and he's, like, pretty productive right away. Then the next year gets better and sort of pushes himself up towards elite or at least a very good. And then last year, like defensive player of the year, caliber kind of season, right? 81 edge or 81 total pressures. PFF grade above 90, pass rush grade above 90. Had a ton of sacks, also had a ton of hits as well. So he was just generally having much more of an impact than he had. So he's just had this steady career up and up and up. And you sort of say, well, it at least gives me a lot more confidence that next year he's going to be closer to that than these guys that just had a like a career year out of the blue that didn't show any any indicators of that happening before that. Um, And then, yeah, Nick Nick Chubb, as I say, I think you can make the argument that he's the best running back in the NFL right now. The only thing that undermines that is the fact that he hasn't been used as much. Like, he hasn't been given the same workload as a Christian McCaffrey or any of these other guys. And Well, has that benefited him? Yes, so right. I think that that's the difference, right, is that I think when it comes to running backs, that is a fair and significant caveat that, look, we don't know that he can still do that with a higher workload. Um, I, I think a lot of positions, it's just not a fair criticism, right? It doesn't matter that he's not being given the workload. But there's something, I think, to running backs where there is an inherent value in the amount that you're able to give them the ball. Now, it doesn't mean that that doesn't undermine or work against the overall success of your offense. Like, all the data, all the analytics say, effectively, the more you load up a running back, the worse your offense is going to be. But that's sort of, that's a different conversation, right? But I think for the running back himself, there is like an inherent value in the ability to take on that level of workload. Now, that being said... Like, last year, he carried the ball 298 times. So it's not like he didn't see, you know, it's not like he didn't see the ball that much. It's just that, you know, compared to the McCaffrey, who was like, what, 40% of the Panthers' offense on his own, it's not the same thing. But, you know, the dude gained 1,100 yards last season after contact. He broke 66 tackles. His grade every, uh, you know, both seasons so far, he's been 88-88, essentially, He's got, like, his numbers are just nuts. He's, he's averaging four yards per carry for his career after contact. He's broken 110 tackles in, what, less than 500 carries at this point. Yeah. He's doing the same kind of thing as a receiver. It's just that they're not giving him the ball that much. I, I mean, it's not that he doesn't, it's not that his sample size is small. It's just lower than a guy like McCaffrey. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if they do give him an in- increased workload there. If the new system ends up um, helping him quite a bit. Um, to your point on TJ Watt, I think if you are going to buy into the getting better every year, it, once again, it doesn't mean that he's going to you know improve upon his defensive player of the year caliber season. But that was kind of how his Wisconsin career went too. He was that like late blooming breakout player. Those are the guys I think when you see consistent improvement, like it's really important. 
just to know that they're not going to either regress back or that there was just like a that they're just like a one year wonder in college. And when they continue to improve, that's something that they've shown in college and then in the NFL. So I think that um, is really important for those guys. Um, other guys that are in the top twenty, we put Tom Brady at twenty four, Von Miller at twenty five, and uh, Khalil Max at eighteen. The Von Miller, Khalil Mack group. Before we get into Brady, but like Von Miller and Khalil Mack, we've always just like we ranked the Bosa's back to back. We've always ranked Khalil Mack and Von Miller back to back. They almost used to trade off being the highest graded edge defender, being number one in pressures, being number one against the run. But Miller's drop off last year was the most significant that we've seen of his career. And Khalil Mack has dropped off a touch, but, uh, you know, is that probably more of the prime of his career than, say, Von Miller is at this point? Miller, I think, is, is just a really fascinating one because I don't know. I have no idea what he's going to look like in 2020. Um, we've talked about this before. Like, it wasn't just that wasn't just that it was like, you know, the, the most sort of um, precipitous drop off of his career. It's that it was the only like his his career had been insanely consistent up until last season every single year above 90 including his rookie year like one of the few guys to have that 90 plus grade as a rookie went 90 93 91.5 90 92 90.5 91.5 90 right every single year and then last year 73 and the pass rushing grade was even further of a drop off went down to 71 like last year he was only a 79 because his run defense grade was 90 um so it was just this massive drop-off. And we talked a week or two ago about, you know, how that drop-off came, even though he still had 77 pressures, the fact that the quality of the pressure just wasn't the same. Um, but I don't know, like, he's, what, 30, 31? Like, that's not, there's no reason he can't bounce back. Like, 31 is not an age where you should just become average. Um, <clears throat> though, for a player like Miller, who relied on speed, bursts, you know, the freaky edge rushing skills that not many players possess. Maybe he drops off quicker in terms of age than, than other players. But generally, that's one where I don't know what that, what that predicts. I, I don't know whether that was just a freak thing, whether he was dealing with some injuries last year that you would expect to, he, he bounces back and next year he's the same 90 player that he's always been, or if that was an indicator that this is the start of his decline and his decline will be fast. So I mentioned Brady coming in at number four, uh, 24. The other thing of note here is that Chris Godwin, there's a lot of bucks on this top 50. We yeah. mentioned Levante David being in the 30s. Mike Evans is also in the 30s. Chris Godwin's at 33. I'm sorry, Mike Evans is at 45. So you've got two wide receivers, a linebacker, and a 43-year-old quarterback all up there for the box. I don't think I'm missing anyone else, right? And then Gronk is a guy that you said right. you know, could be there, obviously, if he didn't, you know, take a little time off to do cbd oil and wrestle so um legitimately on paper this has been the story of the bucks for a while minus the quarterback right it's like hey they have gerald mccoy they have levante david they have some of these stars but they can't put it all together but now is brady going to be the guy to kind of pull all of that together if you know we all want to have a normal nfl season and all that stuff but i think this story is just one of the biggest ones in nfl history as far as player, you know, Hall of Fame player goes somewhere else, goes to a completely new system with Bruce Arians, goes to a place that has had success with the offense as far as moving the ball. Uh, you know, I think there's there's so much to see from the Bucks this year, uh, you know, beyond just Brady because they have a, a lot of good players. 
But I think the the two receivers being on there, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, are a reason that Tom Brady is as high as he is. Right? If you didn't have, if he was going from the if he just resigned from the Patriots, and they did exactly what they've already done in terms of like adding weapons, which is to say almost nothing, and said, right, twenty twenty Brady is going to be playing with the guys that Jared Stidham currently has as his receiving core. I don't think Brady would not be at twenty four on this list. Um, yeah, but you're still, we're still trying to isolate their performance. Well, you're trying Your to performance be is, That's So that's the point I'm trying to make. Is that there's always never, some dependency, but... You can never completely isolate the player, particularly a quarterback. You can never completely isolate those players, and you have to understand the situation that they're going to be in and what that allows that player to do. So the Patriots' situation last year just did not allow Tom Brady to be Tom Brady. Everything was... Uh, ultimately dependent on the fact that nobody could get open at any point in that season. Now, that made Brady look worse. It made the offensive line look worse. It made Brady under pressure look worse. Um, it made everything look terrible. He goes to the Bucks, and they had two of the top ten graded receivers at PFF last season. They've got two receivers on this top 50 list. Like, those two guys are going to enable Tom Brady to look a hell of a lot better than he did a season ago. And that's why he's as high as he is, because I think Brady is still capable of that level of play. If we thought he was only capable of what he showed last year, he would be lower on the list. Yeah, so heading into year 43, he has a good situation, also has the challenge of the new system. I can't wait to see all of that stuff come together. A bunch of Chiefs also in the top 23. Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Schwartz is at 23. Tyreek Hill at 22. Chris Jones at 16. Of course, when you get all the way up to number two, you have Patrick Mahomes. So, um, obviously, a star-studded group there. The big debate in Kansas City is Chris Jones going to be a part of their future. That's where I think the war discussion comes in. Is Chris Jones a fantastic player? Yes, absolutely. We've got Aaron Donald and then Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, as the next interior defensive lineman uh, in the NFL. Chris Jones is awesome. Any given year, he could be that guy. You always say the number two interior defensive lineman. But where war comes in, it's like, all right, play for play. Is he going to make the same type of impact as another position? Probably not. So 16th best player in the NFL, but still might be wise for the Chiefs uh, to not lock up Jones long-term, especially with uh, Mahomes on the horizon from a contract standpoint. And and Tyreek Hill is really interesting as well because – um, so leaving aside the off-field concerns with him, um, the idea that, look, w- the top of this wide receiver group in the NFL right now is incredibly good. You've got a Julio Jones, you've got a Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. You've got this top tier of receivers that are just so incredibly good. And I don't honestly know that there's any of them that I would take before I took Tyreek Hill if you gave me like a choice to this you know, Madden draft that we did. Like, if you were starting from scratch right now and you got to choose your first wide receiver, I don't know that I would take any of them before um, Tyreek Hill. If I was, it would probably only be Julio Jones. Like, he, his grade might not be quite as good as those other guys, but the danger threat that he poses with that speed and the game-breaking ability and the, the things that you can do with him um, and just the general fear, I think, that that instills in a defense I think is worth the extra, like compared with a Michael Thomas or a DeAndre Hopkins. I think defenses are are more scared of Tyreek Hill than they are of those two guys. And even if those two guys are going to get a couple more catches that bump the grade slightly higher, 
I mean, I'm, I want the guy that's going to keep defenses up at night over the course of the week. We saw Tyree Kill legitimately get double covered. I think yeah. thir- 13 times in the AFC Championship in 2018. Not just, not like when we when the Randy Moss episode's going to be dropping soon and you're going to hear, oh, yeah, they had to double cover me. And we, and we talk about how that was cover two. That was like, hey, you got to press him at the line and there's a safety over the top. That's not double coverage, so to speak. I mean, he, he had two get that, dudes. Though. What's that? He did actually get that, though, at some point. He did sometimes, year. right? And, and not a lot of guys do, right? No. Um, Antonio Brown has gotten that before, still knows how to beat it, him and Big Ben, right? But this was like legitimate inside-outside bracket 13 to 15 times in the AFC Championship. Um, and when you have a Travis Kelsey on your team, who is then the beneficiary because he could beat one-on-one coverage, I mean, just think about that. You just need one other guy that could beat one-on-one coverage if you have a Tyree Hill legitimately taking two players out so there's a ton of value there and then Tyreek Hill started his career as more of like that gimmicky receiver right he just was a jet sweep guy uh you know a guy that played a little bit of running back in college and was a hybrid right I mean this is like that's not easy to do to go from the hybrid guy to legitimate deep threat right guy that has ball skills down the field and it will get behind the defense so i'm with you i think julio or tyree kill would be the first two guys i would start my team with as great you know hopkins and uh, michael thomas are the the uber possession guys the chris carter plus or whatever however chris cartery type of players that you just are so reliable but i think julio and, and tyreek are are scary for defensive coordinators to your point mm-hmm. uh julio's up at three let's get into the top 10 or the top 15 all right, the player that I struggle the most maybe to rank is Drew Brees um, because there's no way of slicing his grades where they aren't still incredible. And yet we've seen now for at least two seasons late in the year, his arm just doesn't look the same. His deep ball fly, uh, drops off. His general play drops off. Um, and he's another year older. Like that isn't that's probably not reversing. Like that's probably what is happening to him at this point in his career so how low can you ding him for the fact that every, like, at the, the worst possible time every year he starts to become not the same player, but when he's at his best, he's still like he's still an all-time great. It is fascinating, I think, that Brady and Breeze have both. So Peyton Manning had his he had his last pretty good year at thirty eight, retired at thirty nine after his thirty nine year old season when he was a disaster, right? Injuries and it was one of the worst seasons, obviously his worst season, but it was it was terrible. Breeze and Brady have like peaked at 39 and 40. Like they have, they were outstanding at that age. Now Brady, we've seen a little bit of a drop off at 41 and 42. That was 2018 and 19. So Breeze is kind of at that point where we saw Brady at least took a little bit of a step back, take at least a little bit of a step back after peak play. Um, so that this is kind of a pivotal point because for years we were like, hey, are do quarterbacks all just kind of like fall fall off the map at some point? And then we started questioning, are they just going to reverse that, right? Are they finding a way to change that? And I think this is a this is a big year to see. Or a Brady and Breeze just, you know, freaks and, you know, we'll see if Aaron Rodgers can do it. Can Matt Ryan eventually do it? I mean, we'll, we're a few years away from seeing who else. But, like, Phillip Rivers is – it's a pivotal year for him too. You know, is he going to completely drop off? Ben Roethlisberger. So, as these guys get old, we'll start to see, is it – 38, 39, 40, or is it impossible to be good after 41 or 42? Uh, a lot of questions that will be answered here. But Breeze comes in 
at 11 because, yeah, he, overall he's been fantastic these last couple of years, just concerning. Uh, you start to see a little bit of the physical disappear, and then, yeah, in, in crunch time down the stretch hasn't been great. In 2017, he ended his season with four four straight games with a PFF grade above 80, and then the last one in the playoffs, or the, the divisional round of the playoffs against the Vikings, the, the Minneapolis Miracle year, um, he was 78.5 in that game, so still really good for effectively five straight games to end his season. Then the last two years combined, he's had one game in the last five, six weeks of the season that's had a PFF grade above 80. Wow. So that's your concern, is that basically the last six weeks of the season for two straight years, we've only seen one good game from Drew Brees. And that probably can't happen if they're going to... Like, this team wants to win a Super Bowl, one more before Brees rides off in the sunset. I don't know that that can happen without him playing better than that. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think it's it's a big year. They're they're set up, um, especially if they're you know the COVID implications, right? There is them and the Chiefs, like as far as bringing the whole bringing the band back and having a veteran quarterback to to pull it all together. They're they're in good shape uh, for this year to kind of uh, make that one last run with Breeze before uh, this could be it. This could be his last year. Uh, so. Christian McCaffrey comes in at 10. Um, I want to discuss Stephon Gilmore a little bit. We have him at 12 and Richard Sherman at 14. Stephon Gilmore, the role, this is where like the role comes in because his actual grade is a tick below uh, some other guys, but he has a 90.6 grade just in single coverage when targeted in single coverage the last couple of years. For perspective, that's 96th percentile around the league. The rest of the league is usually like in the 40s or 50s as far as grade goes. He's, ever, he's only given up 5.9 yards per target. I mean, he has uh, it's it's he's he hasn't been Revis, but he's taken the Revis type of role. Go take the best guy, go take the best route runner, whatever it is on a given week. Play single coverage everywhere, and uh, that's uh, that's over the three year stretch with New England, 96th percentile single coverage grade. It, he's just been fantastic at what he's been asked to do since going to the Patriots. So he's the top corner in the NFL on this yeah. on this list um i think the him versus sherman discussion would probably be i mean either closer or maybe go the other way if sherman wasn't dealing with you know battling against age as well right yeah. like last season sherman was phenomenal a bounce back season from that you know another year removed from the achilles but he's not getting any younger like he's already long in the tooth for a cornerback his season last year was pretty absurd given his age it feels unlikely he's going to back that up with another year that's as good. So you probably have to lean towards Gilmore a little bit just because he's got youth on his side. Vancing back to McCaffrey, though. Um, Let's count down the top ten. Let's just hit on every player in the top ten, what we what we like about them, why they are where they are, and, and wrap it up. That sound good? All right. So McCaffrey's 10, at ten. McCaffrey. Um, because this is not a value list. This is not a war list. If it was, running backs wouldn't be featured anywhere near it. It's just how good you are. And as much as running backs don't matter and blah, blah, all this kind of stuff, Christian McCaffrey is a phenomenal running back. He is really good running the football. He's, he's the best receiving running back in the NFL. Him and Austin Eckler, I guess, are right there. One, two. He's the perfect NFL running back for 2020. It's just that the value of that is less than it's ever been in the past. But if you remove value from the equation, there are very, very few players, nine, in fact, apparently, that are better at what they do than Christian McCaffrey is. Yeah, he's a good runner, a good receiver. I, I, again, I keep coming back to, you know, if you're going to catch checkdowns, don't, you know, 
don't just catch him and go down for four yards like he turns him into first down. So uh, McCaffrey's been fantastic. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins coming in at nine. He's coming off of a bit of a down year, uh, formerly of the Houston Texans, now of the Arizona Cardinals. I think he has a chance to really enhance that offense and not just enhance that offense, but let the Andy Isabellas of the world kind of do their thing, the Christian Kirks, the Larry Fitzgeralds. I think the trickle-down effects that Hopkins can have on that offense uh, will be extremely valuable for that team. And just what he brings outside of the trickle-down effect is here's this number one target that you can feed if you're Kyler Murray, all levels of the field, trust him, go up and get it, doesn't drop a whole lot of passes. You know, Hopkins, uh, and he's done it. Uh, Deshaun Watson's been great these last two and a half years, but Hopkins has done it no matter who's been the quarterback. And I think that is the biggest thing that's been in his favor through the years. You look at his list of quarterbacks, and he was saying it last week, if I I had Breeze my whole career, if I had Matt Ryan, if I had these guys, I'd have great numbers too. And I think he's got a fair point. He does, and that's really been his calling card. Um, That and there's also he's also dealt with some really good opposition. Um, like True. he's had a lot of targets against top top level cornerbacks. You know, before Jalen Ramsey left the division, like he is in terms of the situation that he's been in between the guy throwing him the ball and the guy covering him while he's been targeted, he's probably had the hardest job in the NFL from a wide receiver standpoint since he came into the league, and that's obviously improved a little bit or improved markedly since uh, Deshaun Watson became his quarterback. But that's his calling card, right? A guy, you know, Julio Jones has the freaky athleticism, probably the most talent of any receiver in the NFL. Tyreek Hill's got the special speed. Michael Thomas, you know, is maybe the best possession receiver in the NFL, but he's had Drew Brees and a dome for his entire career. DeAndre Hopkins has been doing pretty much what all these other guys have, but he's had uh, the hardest... Uh, situation to do it in so I think you you have to say look that's really impressive to be able to do that and that's what keeps him in the top 10 all right quarterback discussion at seven and eight we went with Russell Wilson at seven Lamar Jackson at eight you know the whole time when you're doing this list you don't make the list because of the fans you're not influenced by the fans but when you put a list together you're always curious if I put this guy at this number what are they going to say Mm. And Lamar Jackson's probably the guy coming in at eight where some people are going to be like, what are you talking about? He's a flash in the pan. He's not that good. And then other people are going to be like, what are you talking He's the reigning MVP. He should be number one. So right. Lamar Jackson at eight, Russell Wilson at seven. I think it's very fair because we're talking body of work of Russell Wilson, which has been spectacular. And now he's starting to get better and better. Whereas Lamar, we have to hedge a little bit and say, okay, we don't know how sustainable year two is. We think he's... He's, he's, he's taking great steps as a passer. He's outstanding as a runner. Fine with putting him there. We still need to see a little bit more before he's, you know, in that top five, though. So let's start with the idea that I don't think Lamar Jackson is going anywhere, right? Like, I think this is yeah. here to stay, this ability that he has, this performance level. I don't think this is disappearing. Like, we're not going to see him go in the tank and become just this average or bad quarterback or, you know, this, this – he's not going to have a Cordell Stewart career, right, where it takes the league by storm, uh, you know, you get this slash nickname, and then suddenly the league figures out how to stop that, and Cordell Stewart becomes crap, right? This, I don't think that's happening with Lamar Jackson. Um, on the other hand, I think we've reached the point in this sort of development arc where, like, unique talent versus 
defenses figuring out how to deal with it. It's like an arms race, right? And the, the unique talent is always it's, it's starting with a head start. So the giant leap that he took last year, I think, is going to – the league is sort of – it's trailing behind figuring out how to slow it down. But I think we've now reached the point in those two curves where – the bigger gains are going to be made in the league figuring out how to attack him than it is him taking incremental steps forward, right? I think there's only so many more um, percentage points he can develop to be better, whereas I think the league's defense can get significantly better in figuring out how to combat him. So I think generally that leads you to the conclusion that he's not going to disappear, but he's probably not going to have as dominant a season in 2020 as he did last season, right? He's probably going to ease back a little bit. I don't have his touchdown percentage off the top of my head, but I think the easiest way to call for regression before you even get into grade is to look at touchdown percentage, right? I mean, all the guys that had over 50 throughout their career or, you know, Marino's 48, Brady's 50, Peyton Manning's 55, and then Mahomes 50, those guys all regressed for first just because they have to. Then you have guys like Carson Wentz. Anytime you're up over like 7.5% of your passes getting – uh, becoming touchdowns in a given year. That's where Wentz was in 2017 when he was the MVP candidate. That's where I think Lamar was up over eight last year. I mean, it's not a knock on anybody. Uh, what is this? There you go. 8.977, whatever. Like, that's just going to, it's just going to come down. Like, you're just, you're not going to throw a touchdown on 9% of your throws last year. That has, and that's not even. That's not narrative-driven, right? Like, we loved, wow, the league caught up to them. They did this, they did that. Like, your touchdown percentage is just coming down, Lamar. Like, it's just going to happen, right? Um, so as, like, a baseline, the MVP numbers probably aren't going to look the same. And, and this happens all the all the time in football where guys play better and the numbers don't match it. That's what we do here at PFF. So he could actually play better and grade better and the numbers won't look the same. Or he could play a little bit worse and the numbers are going to look way worse right. just because of natural regression, right? So if he regresses a little bit as a player next year from a grading standpoint, the numbers are going to regress a ton. And people are going to say, oh, the league caught up. They did this. And it's just the natural ebbs and flows uh, of, you know, of a player. But um, anyway, I really think that because Lamar's rushing ability, we always talk about like the baseline that guys bring to the table. Lamar's rushing ability, as long as it's tapped into, brings a baseline of production. Then the continued development as a passer um, has also just been outstanding and what is what led to an MVP caliber season. Uh, and then you look at Russell Wilson, who we think was more valuable to his specific team last year because the rest of his team was not nearly as good as Lamar Jackson's team. And Wilson has started to peak over these last couple of years. He's taken his game to the next level, despite not having the best supporting cast. So Wilson at seven and Lamar at eight. Perfect yeah. list, Sam. With the Lamar thing, I think, uh, yes, you're right that almost every single time the numbers would say just statistically a 9% touchdown rate is going to come down. But with Lamar, you have this unique factor of his rushing ability which creates this offense which doesn't exist anywhere else in the NFL and we don't know how much that is influencing all these numbers right all the way back to Louisville like we've seen like his rushing threat has led to an easier job passing the football and we don't know how much easier that what the baseline of that is going to be at the NFL level going forward right does that automatically mean that he has a three percentage points better touchdown rate 
than normal quarterbacks. Like for all we know, the the nine percent touchdown rate for him that might not be absurd. Like that might be the level he's at because of these easier passes that he gets opened up to I a Hollywood Brown or to a, for anyone though. So nine percent might be over the top. But my point is, like any normal quarterback, you would say, well, that's coming down massively next year. Lamar, it might not be because this offense is so unique and so it generates different things than other offenses do. And he might be the beneficiary of a high touchdown rate for his entire career until teams figure out how to square that circle. Um, he might be. With Russell Wilson, I think it's just a sample size thing, right? He is, he's played at a higher level for longer than Lamar Jackson has. We've seen it for one year with Lamar, and it's so unique. We don't really know what it's going to look like going forward. With Russell Wilson, we've seen him play at a really high level for a really long period of time. And then as we talked about earlier, the last year or two, he's eliminated the bad end of his game. So right now he's playing basically as well as anybody in the NFL. It's just that his team doesn't give him – they don't lean on him as much as the Chiefs do with Mahomes. All right, number six, we've got Michael Thomas of the Saints. He'll be the number two receiver on this list because Julio's at number three. We've discussed both of those guys quite a bit. You know, again, Julio – I think just, you know, while he wasn't as efficient as Michael Thomas last year, body of work of Julio Jones versus Michael Thomas, slightly different styles, but Thomas is uh, is definitely outstanding at what he does. Moving the chains, running a million slants, but not just slants, does, does it all, Sam. And uh, quite the pairing with Breeze. I told you, the thing that sold me was his production when Breeze went down too, right? You know, mm-hmm. the fact that he kept it up. And it's like, okay, he's dictating some of the action here. He's getting open. He's a quarterback's best friend. He's not just a product of Drew Brees. Um, he's in a good system, but yeah, he is the he's the prototype right now of the Uber possession receiver in, in today's NFL. Yeah, we I mean we shouldn't overthink Michael Thomas. I think that's the key to that is yeah, he's in a great beneficial system in terms of Drew Brees. In terms of the offense, they've crafted a role that suits him perfectly, and they did that from day one. You know, as a rookie, he ran like two patterns, and they expanded his role. But he's been the second most productive receiver in the NFL because of that. So he's only Julio Jones has more yards per route run than Michael Thomas since he came into the league. Michael Thomas has by far the most catches. Like, he has like 70 more catches than anybody else in the NFL since he came in. Um He's got the most first downs. Like he's the most productive receiver in the football in the in the league outside of Julio Jones. And yeah, he's had a good system and good help. But you know, let's not overthink that. All right, at number five, now we're starting to now we are actually at the best of every position, and we're starting to talk Hall, I mean, hall of Fame caliber players, right? So George Kittle at number five at tight end is he. He had the highest graded individual season we've given a tight end. It yeah. goes Kittle and then 17 Gronk seasons, right? But realistically, can he build on that, be, truly become the next Gronk as a run blocker, mismatch creator, and just overall freak in the pass game? We saw Gronk always had like a handful of those plays per year. Like it's like he's good the whole year, and then a handful of those plays where it's like that's just different. Kittle had some of those plays last year where it's mm-hmm. like the Niners. They need to make a comeback against the Saints. He takes a five-yard quick out, turns it into 45 yards, and before you know it, the Niners are winning the game. He takes a slant, stiff arms, Buda Baker to the ground, outruns the safety. I can't remember if this play even got negated by penalty or not, but it's just like, okay, here's this legit freak play. Like, Kittle 
is the next guy at tight end because of that overall game. And this is what separates him from Travis Kelsey, who's at 19, is that run blocking and the ability to do everything at a high level. Yeah, the run blocking and the, the physicality after the catch. Like, Travis Kelsey is really good after the catch, but he doesn't have that. He doesn't run with the same violence right. that Kittle does and that Gronk did to an extent. Um, so, yeah, I think, again, Kittle last season was as good as we've ever seen from a tight end, including Gronk. Um, I know Gronk had more production statistically, but Kittle was right there in terms of a per-play basis. So the only question mark is, can he do it again? And can he back it up? And, you know, what made Gronk Gronk is that he did that year after year after year. What what separates the great players from guys that have great seasons is more than one of them, obviously. Right. So with Kittle, I, 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 we didn't see any reason why it can't happen again. Um, like, there's nothing in his play. There's nothing in the data like Lamar that says this is due for a massive regression like he played he earned that grade and we I think we have to work on the basis that he's going to get close to it again so Kittle comes in at five Quentin Nelson is at four another guy that we've had you know glowing things to say about him the 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 guy coming out of college who looked like a generational guard and then he gets into the NFL he had a bit of a slow start don't let anybody fool you he wasn't perfect right away um but about halfway through the 2018 season, started to play like the best guard in the NFL. That's what he was last year. That's what he looks like going forward. Um, he's what people want Marquise Pouncey to be at center for the Steelers, right? He legitimately is the guy that is looks like 10-year starting Hall of Fame caliber guard, Quentin Nelson, can, the fourth best player in the NFL. Can you believe they nixed our Marquise Pouncey as the all-average Center. Yeah, they didn't want to put that on the old video. Twitter account. They didn't want us to to get the people riled up. Assholes. Let's just um, say great things about Quentin Nelson, and that'll, they'll put that on. The, I the keep Twitter saying account. Quentin Nelson is like the one player. He brings everybody together. He's like the the shining light. He's the Messiah when it comes to grading. The, the grading guys love him. The guys that study numbers love him. The guys that study the dots and nothing else love him. The guys that you know enjoy finishing and teabagging. Love him, like he, everybody. Everybody loves. We Quentin need Nelson. that quote pulled. And they, and they have from like day one, right? Like all of us, it's like a competition to see how far back you first notice this absurdly obvious dominant offensive lineman in college. And everybody, it was like, basically, you know, game one or two that they saw the guy it was like, okay, he looks pretty good. Um, and he's like, he's maintained that he's that player in the NFL. And as you say, it took you know half a season for him to go from, like, just a good player to, like, looking like the best guard in the NFL. Another but time I really wish guy. we had a Manscaped ad to follow Segway up. Segway straight into it, teabagging into Manscaped. The guys who love finishing and teabagging love Quentin Nelson. Speaking of... Maybe you could email him and get in on the copywriting stuff. Yeah, listen, guys, we've got all sorts of uh, copy We have a lot here. of natural segues yeah. into this stuff. Maybe you guys you need some segue us- help. Yeah, you could let us work on the creative with you for our own show. Individual, bespoke, custom, landscape reads. So Quentin Nelson is awesome. Julio Jones is at number three, Atlanta Falcons. Once again, he's the receiver I think I would take. You know, deep threat, ball skills, body control. He is so good at the intermediate level, which in part is based off of the speed. Uh, when you When you have guys his size, sometimes it's tough getting in out of your breaks. He doesn't have that. I mean, he is... Uh, if you're drawing up the perfect Randy Moss isn't even like the drawn up perfect receiver. He was just so good at like a few things, right? I mean, Julio might be the best drawn up perfect receiver, right? After the catch, physicality, 
Julio and Calvin? Are they like the guys through the years? Uh, maybe. I mean, he's yeah. So there's a quote in this Randy Moss piece that you know there are receivers in the NFL with his size and his speed and his jumping ability, but there's nobody that has all three at the same time. Um, like Julio is probably the closest. He's the closest compromise of every you know of all the best assets of receivers. Whether it's speed, whether it's size, whether it's jumping ability, strength, power, everything you want in a receiver, he's probably the best compromise of all of it put together. Certainly that we've seen in a long time, and maybe ever. Um, and because of that, he's like the most productive receiver in the NFL every year. Like he led yards per route run, I think, for four straight seasons. Um, it was one of those statistics that we were like, right, one. One guy owns this statistical category. Julio owned that. Damon Harrison always owned run-stop percentage. Like, there's a few of those in the PFF era that just get completely dominated by one guy, and that's Julio. Like, he has been the most productive receiver on a per-snap basis over the entire time he's been in the league. Yeah, Julio's awesome. He's at number three. That's, that's how I like to just – that's my segue every time. Hey, this guy's nice. awesome. Get to the next number. Sorry. All right. Did we debate numbers one and two? Aaron Donald's number one with the Rams and Patrick Mahomes number two with the Chiefs. Just keep Donald in his own tier. How many years in a row is this for Donald? It's four. I think we've been running the 50 for four years, and he's been the top guy all four of them. Last two years, it's been Brady at number two. This year, Patrick Mahomes taking the spot at number two. Uh, Look, the first two years of Mahomes starting – it's as good as we've seen. It's Marino esque with some yeah. with a Super Bowl though, right? That that's that's who Mahomes is. That's what Mahomes I, is. Yeah, I mean I think this is just a way of forget Mahomes for a second, right? Mahomes being number Mahomes is the best player in the NFL, not named Aaron Donald, right? And Aaron Donald, I think, just deserves to be highlighted as just this world of his own that nobody else comes close to right now. And this is why I keep saying that no matter how good you think he is, you're underselling it. When you look at any data point, he's just off in his own little world. Like, Mahomes is doing some pretty incredible things. and But we've kind of seen it before, at least statistically. Like, Manning has that crazy season. There, there have been years that are up there with what Mahomes is doing right now. Nobody has ever done anything like what Aaron Donald has done. Like, he is destroying the league in terms of pressure rate, in terms of win rate, in terms of um, total pressures. And he's doing all this from an interior alignment where those guys get less pressure than edge rushers. Um, Just statistically speaking, it's easier to get pressure on the edge than it is inside. And yet Donald leads the league since he came into it in all these categories. And it's not like the league is low on quality edge rushers. Like Von Miller has been in the league for the entire time Aaron Donald has been there. And yet Donald destroys Von Miller in terms of pressure rate or total pressures. That is freaky. That should not happen. Like, Von Miller is one of the best pass rushers in NFL history, and Aaron Donald is beating him in terms of all the pass rushing statistics from a harder alignment to get pressure on. That's absurd. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, an equivalent. That'd be like, hey, Mahomes, you know, Mahomes throws the ball 40 times per game. Some other quarterback throws the ball 30 times per game and has more yards, right? Like, it's it's essentially what it is, right? It would be like a tight end leading the league in yardage and receiving yardage every single year and wrecking a guy like Julio Jones. Oh, right? that's a, yeah, that's a good Statistically, point. Yeah. tight ends are just not going to get the production in the passing game that receivers are. And if you had a guy that was dominating 
Like Julio, and Julio Jones is one of the best ever, right? So right. for a guy to be getting, you know, if if Gronk or whatever was getting more receiving yardage than Julio Jones every single year, and doing it on fewer, you know, fewer pass patterns ran, that's what Aaron Donald is doing to the league at the moment. So there you go, Aaron Donald number one, Patrick Mahomes number two. It's the PFF fifty, the best players heading into the twenty twenty season. Check out the entire write up pff.com on Tuesday morning uh, of course let us know how right our list was or if you guys have any disagreements for some reason uh in the comments of the youtube or of course over uh where you guys can leave a five-star review leave a five-star review and tell us how great our list was here's the thing we will listen to negative feedback on the list as long as you leave a five-star review is, is that fair leave a five-star True. review and you can tell us how bad it was you know like lamar should have been number one or richard sherman's too old whatever you want to leave but leave us a five-star review over at iTunes. Um, later in this week, Sam, have we made a decision? Yeah, Is it happening? run it. Run it. Run it. All right. What's happening on Thursday? Thursday, oh. we are dropping our Randy Moss oral history podcast. Uh, I think it is 27 minutes long, the full episode. Um, so this is, it's a, at the moment, it's a podcast special, right? It's, it's a podcast one-off coming out on Thursday. On the other hand, if you like it and let us know that you like it, we will do more of them. We have a few more ideas in the hopper already that are being worked on. Um, I really like doing it. Tyler, bless him, you know, has to su <laughs> suffer through this crap with us. He liked doing it, so if we can, you know, uh, prevent Tyler from killing himself for a little bit longer, that's always a bonus. So, look, if you like it, let us know. Podcasts at pff.com, the five star reviews. Hit us up on Twitter, um, at PFF underscore Sam or Steve. There's a lot of ways of getting in touch with us, all of which will help get more of these made if you do like it. Um, we've got some cool ideas in the works. We just need, effectively, we need the green light. So we need you guys to react well to this and to say it's good if you like it. I, I think it's really cool because for, for folks our age or older, it's nostalgic. For our younger listeners, it might bring some light to a time that you weren't maybe an NFL fan or didn't realize what happened. Um, and I also think you start to you start to see the passion. You know, we got into the Sam because we love football, right? We love um, a lot of things about football. But like when you were putting this project together, I could hear the passion in your voice and the nostalgia combined with just you know wanting to make it good and and, and, uh, and you know just get as many great stories and quotes and. Um, just a breakdown of what was happening with Randy Moss and the Vikings in, in 1998. So I think it's really cool as a passion project, but also one that will bring our younger listeners up to speed and our older listeners to be like, hey, I was you know, 16 at that time, and I remember this and that, and I remember it coming together, or I forgot about that piece that, you, that you're mentioning there. So I think that's what makes it cool and then perfect, you know, June, uh, COVID, off-season content. It also... It opens the door a little bit to us um, to look at older stuff, right? Like PFF has been going, it's been grading since 2006. Uh, college goes back to 2014, but we've had this hard cutoff there, right? Because we don't have data on all this other stuff. Now, we still, I mean, you and I, we've been in PFF since, you know, for years, like 10 years for me, a little bit less for you. But even if we don't have data on certain things, like we, at this point, we've been conditioned to think certain ways about various aspects of the game. So, you know, we, we went back, we did this Moss episode, and we have all this footage. We haven't 
graded it all yet because there's a lot involved in spooling that up. Like, it's not a trivial thing to deploy all of our grading on, on a full season for no purpose other than a podcast episode. Right. But So we haven't done that, but we, th- we still sort of look at the game through this lens that you and I have had crafted by all this time doing PFF. So I think for the first time, it sort of opens the door for us to look at older stuff that we wouldn't normally go near because we don't have PFF data on it. So, if, again, if you like it, it's a good reason to, to let us know because we can start looking at some of this older stuff that we would never get to otherwise. And potentially, you know, who knows where it goes? Like maybe down the line, that's what prompts us to start grading some of this old stuff is that we then would have numbers on these games to, to make the, the content even better. So as I say, it's, it's important across the board. If you guys like this episode, we, we enjoy doing it, but it's, a lot of good stuff comes from letting us know that you liked it. So that'll be it, man. Check it out on Thursday, the Randy Moss retrospective. It's, it's good, it's quick-hitting, and I think it's, uh, it's a really fun way to, um, to look back. So that'll do it for us today. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe out there. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you guys, I think, next week. But Randy Boss, check it out on Thursday. Now I am joined by possibly the longest reigning guest that this program has ever had, Dave Mason from Bet Online. Dave, let me throw you in a weird direction that I wasn't planning on going, but something just popped in my head. And while I have you here, I don't, I'm not telling our fans that Bet Online is taking this action, but just for fun, if if you had to venture, does Mike Tyson return to competition? Yes or no? What do you think? Does Mike Tyson box again? Oh boy! It, it, you know we 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 actually had some odds up on that. Um, so so we are taking bets on 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 Tyson. You know Tito Ortiz, your old pal, was was chirping. So we put some odds up on that on a on a boxing match. We have I think Tyson at minus five hundred. I you know normally I would say no, but in the current state of things with all these charity things going on, you know, the past week when we saw the. Uh, that golf event that was so good and raised so much money, um, and we got awesome action on it with Nicholson, Tiger, uh, Brady, and, and, and Manning going at it. So with, with all the charities, you, you throw that into it, I wouldn't be shocked. If it wasn't for this COVID stuff, I'd say hell no. But with all this charity stuff and and, and all sorts of creative content getting out there, and, and people just hungry for content. I know Bare Knuckle wants to bring him on for a fight for 20. They're opening 20 million or something, which is absolutely nuts. So normally I'd say no, but with all this COVID stuff, I, I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I saw some pictures of him. Holy hell, he, he's jacked, man. He, he's in great shape. And of course, of course, everybody saw him hitting that bag a few weeks ago. And my Lord, I, I felt sorry for that bag. He, he, he looked as strong and as powerful as ever. So... You know, if he does come back, I'm sure it's going to be you know some kind of special you know uh, special rules and everything. I don't think it'll be an all-out brawl. I, I don't know. Of course, bare knuckles. If he fights there, then there are no special rules. They're not even gloves. So I, I would like to see it. What the hell? And, and, and you know. 
from from booking something like that, that the, the action would be off the charts. I was never in the industry where the, when he was fighting. That was before my time in the industry. So that's one thing I, I always would have liked to seen all the all that Tyson money coming in because whenever he fought, it was an event. And sometimes maybe it's not the best fight or the best game that gets all the action, but the events that's on news, that's on Sports Center. 24-7 that everybody's talking about, yeah, i.e. Mayweather versus McGregor. Those are the ones that Super Bowls that happen in August that the sports books just love because it's like all of a sudden, the third week of August, all these people are piling back in when they weren't the, the, the year prior. So if Tyson comes back in any any kind of competi- competitive fight, oh, my God, I, I can't imagine the actual coming in. So I'm rooting for it, man. And, you know, I'm of that same school of thought as so many people are saying, well, you know, he's 53, don't do it, and he's bad things. But I think you brought up an interesting point, which is, well, wait a second. What if we do manipulate the rules? What if all of a sudden it's a two-minute round and there's a 90-second rest just by example? Oh, and by the way, it's only scheduled for three or four rounds. I think that greatly does change the potential uh, embarrassment factor, if you will, the potential uh, injury factor, if you will. And then what if we throw him in there with somebody from his era. I mean, coincidentally, Vander is now coming back. Coincidentally, uh, Briggs uh, would like to fight again, who's also, you know, uh, just north of 50 years old. I think I'm with you. I think there's something special there. Even those videos that Mike's putting out, eight and 10 and 11 second clips of him shadow boxing or hitting mitts or to your point, hitting the bag. I love that stuff. Those stuff's 11 seconds. I wish it was 11 minutes. If Mike Tyson's doing something, I'm compelled to watch. 100%. 100%. Like I said, it's an event. I just remember watching those fights when I was a young, and, you know, I think it's back in high school and it, when he was on top of the world. And even back then, you know, all me and all my buddies would go over to somebody's house who had HBO, I think it was on back then, and watch the fights. And I don't remember anything else that we really gathered for back then. And that was way back one in the 80s. So absolutely, I would, I would love to be on this side of the counter for Mike Tyson fight, even if it did have special rules, because... The, the, the hype would be just off the charts, which I which I love the events. All right, so speaking of ferocious fighters, let me fast forward you next week. Pay-per-view, only on ESPN+, Plus, world champion, and uh, the, the without question, greatest female fighter of all time. Well, I'm talking about Amanda Nunes. She's putting the strap up against Felicia Spencer. Felicia Spencer, I would argue for you, had her greatest performance even in defeat, and that was against mm-hmm. Chris Cyborg where I think she opened everybody's eyes and shocked us to not only her skills, but her heart and her durability. Noons versus Spencer. I'm a week early on this, but I don't get to talk to you that often, Dave. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, you said it. She's the GOAT. Amanda's just incredible. I mean, uh, you know, took out Ronda, took out Cyborg, two KOs right there of, of two of the other people, that, that women that would be mentioned in the uh, GOAT conversation or debate, which I don't think it's any close to a debate anymore. It's Amanda all the way. But, yeah, Spencer, I mean, I, I, I watched that cyborg fight, and I was like, I was like, oh, my God, what's this, what's this lady going to do? That, that's a looks-can-be-deceiving thing. And she went in there, and, you know, cyborg's all jacked, and, and, and Spencer just looked like, I, I don't know, you took her out of a PTA meeting or something. And, and <laughs> holy, holy hell, man, did she, did she battle? Did she... She impressed the hell out of me, man. I, I mean, I, I, she might, might not be the most skilled fighter out there, men or women, but she, I, she, I don't know if there are many people, men or women, with a bigger heart than she had. Holy mackerel, did she open my eyes in that fight. 
But uh, Nunez will just be too much, and I, and I think. I mean, if, if Spencer be, beats Amanda, that will be the ultimate Rocky story right there. Uh, but, you know, Nunez, she's just on another level with her striking, ground game, ground and pound, everything. Uh, I, I don't see. I mean, the odds are reflective. Amanda's minus 550 favorite. To take back on Spencer's plus 420, even to, despite the uh, high odds the public is on Nunez, which is which is which is kind of um, you know the public in fights usually bet that dog, and you know we still have a week and a half of action yet to come in, so that that could change, and by fight night we could use, we could need Amanda, but as of now the betters on Amanda, which which tells me something too that people aren't really giving Felicia. What I do know is every parlay. Will be keyed on Amanda along with O'Malley. Those those two will be keyed on like every other parlay that weekend. Yeah, oh, I fully agree. Look, there's always something special when Sean O'Malley is present. I mean, it's just a reality. He brings something. You talk, Simon Cowell likes to talk about the it factor. Sean O'Malley yep. has the it factor. He sure does. Oh man, I mean this. His look, uh, his interviews, but he backs it up in the ring. Of course, you know, he's not that tested yet. You know, we're, he's going to have a good test next weekend, which is great, fighting Eddie, a cagey old veteran like Eddie Wyland. Um, but, but man, that O'Malley, he, he just is so dynamic and striking. Just one of those guys, you, he, he's going to sell a lot of tickets, man, watching this kid over his career. And how, how, big did he, how big did he look in his last fight? That's the thing. You know, he, he just looked so much more muscular during that time off when he, when he fought that last fight. He, he looked huge in that last fight. I, I couldn't be, believe he made weight at that weight class, but he made it easy, and he, and he looked great. He just put on a lot of muscle, and he was ready to go. And he, he did his thing, and next weekend, I can't wait. I mean, I, I think that's the fight I'm looking forward to most on that card. He against Wyland, so I, I, I'm really looking forward to that, pal. I fully agree with you. All right, Dave, thank you for your time. You got anything else you want to get off your chest? Uh, lots, but, you know, I know you're quick on time, but come on over to betonline.ag and bet the fights and uh, all, all sorts of sign-up bonuses. Get your free plays and, and bet on the fights with house money at betonline.ag. Boom. Love it. Thanks, Dave. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care.